I think today uh, we're going to reflect uh, together in the light of meditation. And I'm really grateful that uh, Sarah and Neil uh, are going to be leading us in that reflection uh, on aging because it's, um, it's a way to understand not only uh, the meaning of our own lives in a new perspective, but to understand how our culture, how our society is, is dealing with the challenges and the problems and the earthquakes of, um, of modernity. And I think it's, it's a wonderful, I just spent a, a week with a group of priests in the uh, Canberra uh, Roman Catholic Diocese and uh, way out in the bush, so I'm just getting over my um, hay fever. Um, but I was, I was very d deeply struck by out there in the middle of nowhere uh, by the land and by the space and uh, we were talking at dinner last night about the about Didiri, about the wisdom of the indigenous people and how that is touching the the, the minds of minds of the modern Australians um, and I think it's not as it's not as easy or as simple as it may sound you can't reduce it just to some kind of new agey thing because there's an there's a intercultural dynamic involved in this, but there's also a deep spiritual movement, I think, taking place in Australia, in the Australian consciousness. And I, I've, I've felt for a long time, especially as I've seen the Australian meditation community grow and develop into such a loving, strong, um, and creative, uh, community to share this gift of meditation in so many ways, both here and around the world, and a big player in our world community. Um, I've been thinking for a long time, really, about Australia's place in the evolving spiritual consciousness of our planet. And uh, I think it's not insignificant that just a few months ago, uh, we had the Meditatio seminar on in the environment here. And, um, and uh, today we're looking at another major global issue in, in our in aging world. By uh, the year 2050, 30% of Europeans will be over 65. So... Aging is a personal thing that we all experience, but it's also, uh, it's also a population thing, a collective thing, which is changing uh, our planet. It's certainly driving one of the major forces of our modern era, which has happened so quickly and is, is clearly here to stay, which is mass migration, the movement of great numbers of people across the, across the planet. So, um, so I want to thank, uh, thank the Australian community for the vitality and the insight, the wisdom, the courage to, to deal with these, these major issues and to share that reflection that we have at these Meditatio seminars with the rest of the world community. So what happens here today will be 
reflected on. We're recording this, are we? Yes, great. So uh, we'll be reflected on to um, meditators and others uh, around the world through the website and by other means. So just to put it in that context, and it's, it's not so much making a statement as highlighting um, an awareness that I think many of you will have too about the universality of meditation, which arises out of its simplicity. Only something that is radically simple could be so universal. And it's universal not only in the sense that it opens up the common ground of humanity between races and cultures, that's absolutely vital, uh, that we find this common ground and we, we are familiar with this common ground. And that's both earthy, physical, geographical, but it's also spiritual. Um, so we need to find this common ground to know that we, we share one land, which we call the planet Earth, this little speck of dust in the mighty cosmos, that we share that. So the time is over where we could indulge our childishness and fight over little bits of land and territorialism, um, like the Christians in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, the absolute counter-image of what we should be like. You know, they fight over centimeters of this sacred space, supposedly sacred space, which of course they desecrate by trying to claim it for their own. So, um, so we're, we're, we're here to reflect, to highlight, I think, this, this, the significance and the purpose of the recovery of the contemplative dimension of our spirituality, of our own Christian tradition in particular. Um, but it's happening in all religions, it's happening in the secular world. Uh, the recovery, the, the investigation of what this contemplative dimension really means and what it might mean for us as a human species as we face some of the biggest and most urgent questions we've ever faced in the world in history especially if President Trump does tear up the Paris um, environmental uh, treaty, as he promises, but his promises maybe are not too serious. However, these are major questions that we are facing, and it's no, no accident, I think, that this contemplative consciousness is surging up uh, from the grassroots, but it's also touching the, the leadership. We're in crisis at every level, and uh, there is no, there's, no, there's no one level of our global culture through which the answer can come. It won't come from the top, it won't come from the presidents, it won't come just from the grassroots. It has to come collectively, integrally, holistically. And uh, that's, that pushes us, forces us, into a wisdom consciousness. If we reflect on the whole and realize that that's what is changing, it's the whole that is changing, then we are already on the way to wisdom. We're already looking for wisdom rather than just over-specializing and coming up with simple answers. So I think um, it's, it's uh, wonderful to see how 
uh, our community, and here especially in Australia, has been able to um, look at some of the major issues, challenges, problems of our time in the light that is shed by the rediscovery at a personal level, at a communal level of this contemplative dimension in the light of meditation. So um, having said that, uh, I'd like to begin with meditation and say <coughs> a few words of introduction to how we meditate. Uh, we'll meditate for a short time together and then um, I will share some reflections on this topic of aging. In the Middle Ages, there was a widespread belief that the time you spent at Mass, you didn't age. <laughs> and uh, if the church could recover that idea and market it, churches might be filled again. But um, there is some evidence, I mean there's evidence for everything with regard to meditation uh, scientifically, but there is some, some evidence that the aging process, the cellular aging process is uh, slowed down by meditation. I don't know if that's the main reason for meditation, if, even if it's true, but if it would get somebody started, maybe that would be worthwhile. But the uh, underlying wisdom of that uh, thought is that um, in meditation we enter into this experience of contemplation which is about the present moment. It radically changes our perception and experience of time. That's why at one level uh, people who are bedeviled by stress and the physical and psychological problems created by stress in our modern culture um, take to meditation simply to de-stress. And what is de-stressing? It has a physiological aspect, but most of all it's about how we see and deal with the passage of time by entering into the present moment, by being, by awakening actually, just not by entering the present moment, by realizing that we are in this moment that is always present. And uh, when we sit to meditate, of course, the first thing we discover is that we are not in the present moment. Our minds are ravaging, rummaging around in the past, uh, evaluating, sorting out, filing, uh, or obsessing about old issues or old experiences. Or we are projecting ourselves into the future, trying to plan, trying to solve the problems of the moment so that we can control the future. Uh, or simply fearing the future at times. This is one of the, I think, avoidable uh, sufferings of, 
old age is that we can, we can learn not to face the inevitable uh, progression of age uh, without, uh, with, without fear, without anxiety, without ho horror or terror. So when we sit to meditate, we will first of all discover that we are not in the present moment. And because we are, the way we're trained, the way we're culturally conditioned, the way our, our education has positioned us with this huge bias towards the left hemisphere of the brain, towards thinking and modeling and representing reality rather than being in the flow of reality, because of this, we may think that meditation is something we have to think our way into that we enter the present moment by thinking about the present moment or by thinking about God. And the biggest, the biggest uh, leap that we have to make in understanding what meditation means, children, of course, make this leap instantly. It could take us up to 10 years to get to this basic, simple intuition, insight, which is that in meditation, we let go of our thoughts. We lay aside our thoughts. Good thoughts as well as silly thoughts. Silly thoughts as well as negative thoughts. We simply lay aside our thoughts. This is a wisdom from the Christian desert where they once described prayer itself. When they spoke about prayer, they spoke about this prayer of the heart, this contemplative prayer, as the laying aside of thoughts. Just a word on contemplation, because it can give us an insight into what this basic um, understanding of meditation means. The word contemplation, of course, like many words, has had a, a long and often self-contradictory history. It will be used by different people in different ways. But the, the etymology, the root of the word, comes from contemplum. So it has this word templum in it. So we think of a temple as what? A building. A church, a synagogue, a mosque, uh, a temple, as a structure. But actually that wasn't the original meaning of the Latin for templum. Templum was the space. It was the sacred space set aside for sacred action, for sacrifice, for worship. It's the space, not the structure. Structures rise and fall. Empires rise and fall. Lives rise and fall within that space. But the space itself is ever spacious, ever open, ever full of potential. And that is our entry into the experience of God. That's why contemplation means entering into that spaciousness beyond the structures of thought or imagination. And that's the challenge for us just to get that. And the only way we can really get it is by practicing it. I was talking uh, recently uh, to a group and um, a man came up, and he was very enthusiastic about what I was saying. 
about meditation anyway, and uh, really, really fired up about it. And the next day, when we had another conversation, I realized he didn't have the slightest idea what I was talking about. <laughs> and I don't think that was just my fault. I think it was his process of, of coming to this radically simple, ridiculously simple insight about contemplation. He was saying, for example, when we meditate, he said, this is Christian meditation. That means it's incarnational, isn't it? And that means that every thought I have, every imagination I have, that has to be brought into the prayer. So I have to think about, you know, get these, these distractions into the prayer. They're very complicated. I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> so we were, neither of us knew what we were talking about. <laughs> so I, I did the best I could. <coughs> to say, no, just leave your thoughts aside and come back to your mantra. And he looked at me, and I thought, I, either he's going to thank me or he's going to hit me. <laughs> so he didn't actually do either. He just said, ah, I see. And I don't know whether he did see. But over the next few days, we were meditating together. And I think, if anything uh, would help him, to come to understand what this templum means, it would have been the practice of meditating together in that simple and regular way with a group of nice and good people like we are. <laughs> so let's uh, take a time for meditation. If you're new to it, or if you have been doing it for 30 years or more, uh, it doesn't matter. We are in the present moment. We're all beginners. Meditation is very really about a, the beginner's mind. That's why it may not actually slow down your cellular degeneration, but it will make you feel younger anyway, <laughs> because it will bring you into the present moment. So let's just uh, r remind ourselves of this simple way. First of all, we sit. Sitting is halfway between standing up and lying down. When you're standing up, like I am, you're quite active, you're doing something. When you're lying down, you're resting, relaxing, edging towards sleep. When we're sitting, we're halfway. So we're, we, we are alert and relaxed at the same time. And your body is in this process. Our body is absolutely the instrument <clears throat> of this contemplative journey in every way. We are embodied forever. So that's why your posture is important. It's a good idea every time you sit to meditate to take a few moments to um, check your posture. So just take a moment to sit upright with your back straight. Relax your shoulders. You, we all have two sit bones. Find those sit bones and sort of position yourself on those sit bones, and then it's easier for you to sit upright. So it's not rigid. You don't have to sort of hold yourself tight and tense like that. There's a natural um, curve, of course, to the, to, the, to the back, to the spine. So, but sitting upright in a relaxed way. Relax your shoulders, relax the muscles of your face. 
Take a few moments to be aware of your breath, because your breath can help to bring the body and the mind into the present moment, into the templum, the temple of the body, can sort of anchor, anchor us, anchor the mind with its restlessness and its, its eagerness to burrow in the past or its eagerness and anxiety about the future. So just allow the body, the breath, to stabilize the mind just by being aware of the breath for a few moments. You're also being taught something so obvious that life is a gift. We're not in control, really, of our breathing. We accept the gift of being with every breath and we release that gift with every breath. John Main said meditation is the way we accept the gift of our being. So just being aware of that flow of breath helps you to begin. It's only a beginning, a first step, but it helps you to begin to lay aside your thoughts And it brings with it the beginning of a strange and lovely feeling of contentment, of thankfulness. Not for this or for that, not for what I possess, not for what I've done, but for what I am. Meditation is about being, not thinking. <coughs> now we begin the work of meditation, which is to take a word, a mantra, a sacred word, and to repeat this word continually in the mind and heart throughout the time of the meditation. And the art, meditation is an art, not a technique, the art of meditation is to keep returning to the word gently, without force, and faithfully, however many times you get distracted, keep returning to the word. Try to sit as still, as quiet as you can. Try, I was going to say, try not to cough, but I make an exception for myself today. Try to be as still and as quiet as possible so that we can build up in a friendly way the silence that we share. Choosing the word is important because we stay with the same word all the way through the meditation and from day to day. The word I would recommend is the word Maranatha. It's a sacred word in our Christian tradition. It's in Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke. It means, come, Lord. But we're not thinking about the meaning of it. We're saying the word and listening to the word as we say it. And it's in that listening that all our faith and love is concentrated. In that total act of listening. If you choose this word, say it as four syllables. ma ra na tha ma Ra, na, 
star. Don't visualize the word, but listen to it and keep returning to it when you get distracted. So we could lean, lead into the meditation now <coughs> with the short prayer <clears throat> of John Maines. Heavenly Father, open our hearts to the silent presence of the Spirit of your Son. <clears throat> Lead us into that mysterious silence where your love is revealed to all who call. Maranatha, Maranatha. So let's end with these words from the Gospel of John. I have come so that you may have the fullness of life. Good. So I'll just share a few uh, thoughts, relatively brief. Um, about uh, our topic for today before Sarah and Neil lead us into a deeper reflection. I think aging is first of all a very relative concept. When John Main died, I was just 30 years old and I found myself, I realized after a little while, often the youngest person in the group I was talking to. And especially if I was talking to clergy or religious or even meditation groups. And then as the years went by, it gradually dawned on me that I was about the same age as the people I was talking to. And now I often notice I'm the oldest in the group, especially talking to MBA students, you know, 30 years difference between them, between us. So we've all had that. Uh, aging is a, is, a, is a process. It dawns on you. Little incidents or moments trigger the awareness that, oh, my God, I'm, they think I'm older <laughs> than I think I am. That's usually what it is. But um, I had a little respite from that recently. I, as you may have seen on the website, I had a wonderful meeting talking about contemplation in the church and in the modern world with uh, Thomas Keating, Richard Raw, and Tilden Edwards from Washington. At, uh, and uh, as Thomas Keating is 93, and Tilden was 81, and Richard is 73, they kept on calling me the baby of the group. <laughs> and uh, one of our, our major sort of outcomes of that meeting was actually to, to convene together from our different 
communities, a younger uh, representative, or four younger uh, contemplatives, contemplative teachers or contemplative scholars who come together to continue that conversation. So it seemed to me a very uh, gratifying um, uh, evolution of, of that meeting that, that we were able to sort of extend it, to open it to a younger generation, but that we, with whom we, to whom we would listen, but to, with whom we would have um, a dialogue. So the fact that meditation, that, sorry, that ages, uh, aging is a relative concept uh, and 65 isn't, today isn't what it was 30 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Um, you know, 40 is the new 25 or whatever, as we always hear. Um, and we're living in, in an aging society with longer life expectancies. Uh, the cultural overtones of the milestones of life are changing because we're all, well, many of us, not all, but many of us, many, most of us are going to live much longer. It's all the more important that we understand what the aging process means. We may not live as long as Methuselah, do you know how old Methuselah was? Nobody knows? 969, very good. There's only one woman in the Bible whose, name, whose age we know. Do you know who that was? Sarah, yes. Sarah, how old was your namesake? No, she was, I forget now how old she was. 127. <laughs> but that's also relative because what we translate as, as years may well have been months or, you know, multiples, multiples. So, but uh, although it's a process, it's a relative process, um, in our culture, in Western culture, we, technological culture, we, we make people work longer, but we also often push them out of an active role in society at a certain age simply because they've reached retirement age or they've reached a certain age limit. Not for the US presidency but for, or, for, <laughs> or for the papacy, uh, but for, for most other, most other uh, positions of authority. And so we often today, uh, we're, we're clearly re-evaluating what, what age means, what aging means, and what the relative milestones of uh, aging um, represent for us as, as we continue to live in society, but in different roles as we get older. And um, we look back often to traditional societies, pre-modern societies, and we say, oh, they looked after their old people much better than we do, and they uh, regarded them as figures of wisdom. Well, that may be true. It probably is true on the whole. But we shouldn't forget that many nomadic tribes will simply leave their old people to die in the bush or in the savannah. Uh, or Eskimos will push their old folk out of the igloo. 
uh, to to perish in the in the Arctic uh, cold. Not, I think, because they feel that they're they've got no more use so much. It's probably a, it's a practical socio-economic uh, necessity that you know we can't look after them anymore. So we should just sort of let them go in that way. But generally speaking, it probably is true that in traditional societies <coughs> there is a greater sense of the meaning of age as a growth in wisdom. And that wisdom is of value to all generations. And that's certainly something that Hollywood would find very difficult to, to, to believe. They say it's one of the reasons why British actresses do better in Hollywood than American actresses for more mature roles, because the American actresses have all had facelifts and don't look their age, or, and uh, whereas the British, not so many of the British actresses have, uh, have, have resisted aging in that way. So uh, consciousness grows with aging, and with that consciousness comes wisdom. Consciousness grows through the losing of the past. It's through losing that we gain. We lose what we were, and we explore what we are now and what we are becoming. This is an essential cycle of human consciousness, this losing and finding. Jesus has a number of parables about it. And it's what we live out in meditation day by day. Losing and finding. We are awakened, sometimes painfully, by loss. By an awareness that we are not only personally mortal, but that everything around us is passing away as well. And yet it's consciousness, our consciousness painfully awakened by the experience of loss, which brings us to this state that we call wisdom, this, this knowledge of the whole, this understanding that we participate in the wholeness of things, that's what wisdom is, so we come to this, uh, this wisdom through a consciousness that is awakened by this cycle of losing and finding. Nobody wants to lose, so we inevitably resist it. We can come to recognize it for what it is, but it's never easy to lose something. Even if you know that it is part of a cycle and that a, a finding will, will follow it or will be part of the losing, nevertheless, we always must inevitably put up some resistance to losing. The question is, how much resistance? How much do we deny even this reality of the cycle of life? As we enter into that consciousness, we become aware of the continuity of our identity through many repetitions of this cycle of losing and finding. As we tell and think about the story of our life, we, we are telling a story about somebody who is no longer there, who has been lost, survives in a few photographs, 
survives in our genetic code, perhaps, but uh, a person who is no longer there, and yet who is there? It's me I'm talking about when I tell you about 35 years ago. So the continuity through time, through this losing and finding, is the self. The self is this continuum of identity. And it reveals the present moment more and more strongly until we pass over the event horizon and our minds themselves just fade away. The actual fading away of consciousness in dementia and Alzheimer's is painful for everyone involved. Because it seems as if there's a, a, a loss of the person and yet they're still there. That's the, that's the agony of it. But it can also be accompanied by humor. It's wonderful to see how older couples, one of whom is facing this dementia process, you know, can actually be brought into a very wonderful intimacy in the tragedy of this loss, and, and yet knowing that it's, it's being lost. Uh, I had a very dear friend called Rosie, who in her early, died in her 90s, but um, she said, over, she was pretty alert for most of that time, but she began to lose it a little bit, and then she said, she, she said to me, I'm going a bit doolally, you know. <laughs> and, um, and she would repeat the same question, and, uh, you know, but she was always present, <coughs> always recognized me, but, uh, you know, the conversation was very different from what it had been before. And she was talking to me about it once, and I said to her, well, you know, it's the brain cells. The brain cells are, are going, and uh, the brain is, is changing. But, you know, you know it. We can talk about it. So your mind is still there, uh, and the, the brain still has enough cells to be able to communicate what the mind knows. And then she looked at me and she said, that's very comforting, Lawrence, thank you. I hope I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> so as the physical plane of our life deteriorates, the spiritual can expand. And the positive expression of that is in irony, being able to laugh at our silliness, to laugh even at the tragedy of our decline and in the humor of the distance between mind and body. Potentially, this is a source of great sadness and great despair, and there is inevitable pain involved in the aging process. Not only aches and pains like Leonard Cohen. How does it go? I can never... My, my, my friends have gone and my hair is gray and I ache in the places where I used to play. <laughs> but, I'm what is it? but I'm still hungry for love. Right? But I'm not coming on. <laughs> so we can still we can laugh at ourselves with, with gentleness, with reverence. It's very different from these horrible ageist email jokes that I, somebody, an 
much older person I know who sends them to me, and it's, it's obviously, it's a bitter humor. I don't even, he's just obsessive, trying to laugh, but he's actually raging at this process in himself. It's a bitter humor. But there's a gentle humor, which, which actually is mellowed by the expansion of our spiritual consciousness and the growth of wisdom. The important thing is, we can respond to this process with despair, with self-rejection, with self-hatred even, and raging. There's this awful line of Dylan Thomas, I think, do not go quiet into that dark night, into that good night, what is it? Into that night with rage, rage. It's, it's, it's the worst part of that great film, Interstellar, where they keep this Michael Caine, who ought to know better, keeps on repeating this stupid line. Raging. Why rage? Why should embrace it? Why not learn from it? So, we can resist reality and think that's heroism. But there's not much heroism in the Hollywood denial of, of aging. It's actually ridiculous in the end. Mutton dressed up as lambs, you know. So, there's something silly and ridiculous about resisting or denying this reality. Trying to, you know, we spend, if, if we get, put all the money that we, we put into anti-aging creams into the third world, there wouldn't be a third world anymore. <laughs> Same with perfumes. You know, the cosmetic industry should be turned around and if there's going to be a revolution that's been there. So there is, we can, we can, in other words, go into this aging process open to the wonder of what is happening. Handling the lessons it gives us with sensitivity, with reverence, with humor, open to being surprised, curious about what's going to happen next, and accepting loss and change because there's no other thing we can do but to accept it. There was an old monk um, I met uh, many years ago who said, he said, I have a holy curiosity about death. I'm really curious about what's going to happen. <coughs> so we are grounded in this continuity of the self which becomes more conscious even as we accept the process of change that we call aging. And the pathway of meditation through this process is a wonderful gift, a wonderful grace, because it is expansive. Even, even as the physical existence contracts, uh, our consciousness can expand. And that's what wisdom is. That's why, and the wisdom that is necessary for the salvation of the world, as the Book of Wisdom says. And that's why it's so important, because aging begins as soon as, we, as soon as we are born, in one sense. I think there's a technical point in, I think about 20 or something, where biologically we're supposed to begin to age. But, you know, obviously we, we are on a trajectory towards death. And so you could say we are aging from the very moment of birth, even if we're still expanding our physical and mental capacities, still part of the aging process. And to introduce meditation to children 
is going to be a wonderful way of helping them to prepare for the different stages of aging, even as they move from infancy to, to adolescence and from adolescence to young adulthood and adulthood to middle age and middle age to later middle age and so on and so on, whatever the new categories are going to be. So meditation is a continu continuum through the stages of life which will allow this continuity of the self to remain conscious that we, even as we are losing ourselves, we're finding ourselves in new ways. Everything ages, cells, races, the universe, teeth, eyes, memory, sexuality. We see aging taking place in everything in the universe, the law of entropy. The run, running down of thermal energy into disorder. Things fall apart. That's happening throughout the universe. St. Paul saw that. Everything is subject to this law of, of deconstruction. Even as it's expanding. He didn't know it was expanding, but we know that it's expanding. But even as it's expanding, it is also deconstructing. Aging is not an enemy to be defeated. It's fantasy. And we would actually lose our humanity if we put that fantasy of defeating aging, defeating death, into, into effect. We would end up just becoming bionic, biologically, I don't know, bionic biolog biological constructs. We'd, be, we'd just be bits and pieces stuck together. And even if our biology was continuing, we would, where would the self be in that? Wouldn't we be trapping the, the mind and the self in a false body? And what a nightmare that would be. So this anti-aging movement, you know, of science and the cosmetic industry, uh, which is going to be a, a huge moral and spiritual challenge for us in the future because we're going to have more and more technology to, 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 to think uh, that we are defeating aging and overcoming death. It's going to be big money in that as well, unless, unless we understand what it means. This attraction to anti-aging, to, to fighting the aging process, is reflected in our youth culture, a youth culture, an obsession with youth and vitality and beauty and all those things, which damages the young just as much as it does their parents or their grandparents. It damages the young and uh, it, 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 it locks them into an image of themselves which is unreal and it, def and it breaks the relationship they have to have with the older generation, and it blocks the transmission of wisdom that, has to, that should be connecting them. As those of you who are grandparents especially know how wonderful it is to be able to transmit to your grandchildren what you couldn't and can't communicate to your children themselves. So 
Rather than thinking of aging as something that we feel ashamed about or frightened about, we have to see it as something that we accept. Of course we're losing power, of course we're losing mobility, and of course we're losing status in some ways. You know, definitely in our society we're losing status as well. Nevertheless, there is this, this huge, wonderful gift of wisdom. We can't go back to, probably, to a, a society like that of Confucius, who emphasized the virtues of filial piety and obedience and respect to the biblical world of honoring your father and your mother, where old age was, was reverenced. We probably, we probably won't go back culturally, but we have to learn from what was known then and invest that knowledge in the technological culture that we are inhabiting now. So, as we continue this reflection uh, during the day with uh, Sarah and, uh, and Neil and among ourselves, and I hope, I hope you know, we use this time while, you know, in the breaks and in the lunch period and so on to continue this conversation. And, uh, you know, don't just talk about the weather, because weather's not so interesting as aging is for us today. So, so I hope as we, as we continue this, um, this conversation today, we will, we will open ourselves to the meaning of, of this aspect of our lives, illuminated by the contemplative mind of, that meditation helps us to develop, and to see the, the meaning of wisdom. And then we'll be able to maybe understand also the great hope that we find in the New Testament of the Gospel, expressed in these words of second letter to the Corinthians. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed every day. Thank you. Thank you.